Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com. That's excatholicsforchrist.com. So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans, chapter 8, verse 15. So we are nearly halfway through chapter 8 of the Epistle to the Romans. and verses 1 down to 13, Paul has been making the argument very clearly how we are not under the law, but we are under grace. We walk in the spirit, being the new covenant, not in the flesh, being the old covenant. Verse 13 ended with an apostolic warning that for those that live after the flesh, they will die. The wages of sin is death. Not just those that keep the law, meaning they wear skull caps or they keep Jewish rituals or they circumcise their sons or they abstain from foods and meats and meals or they create additional rituals and rules and regulations, but no, those that also feed the flesh, or those that perhaps embrace immorality. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Saved children obeying their saved parents results in them living long on the earth. Disobedience will result in a premature death. The Lord hates rebellion of any kind, but especially from a child to a parent. He detests it. Please turn to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Here we find a saved couple not only lying to the Apostle Peter, but also to the Holy Spirit, found in verse 3 and verse 5, and the Holy Spirit in verse 5 is called God. These two saved people have sinned after the flesh. Their sin was to lie. Look at verse 5. And Ananias hearing these words, fell down, and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Ananias, being the husband and head of the family, dies first of all. He takes responsibility first and foremost. He falls first. Look at verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down, 
straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now it's her turn to be judged and found guilty. And she too dies just like her husband, not spiritually, but physically. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. These three verses all say the same thing. Chapter 8, verse 1 makes it very clear that once you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. Verse 9 makes it even clearer that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have salvation. And by verse 14, not only are you a Christian, meaning you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are also a son of God. Not just a Bible-believing Christian, but a son of God. Go back to the Old Testament and look up the term sons of God. And you find very clearly that it is always in reference to angels. So we replace the fallen angels back in the Old Testament. We aren't angels. We are still human beings here and now. But when we die, we are like the spirits. We are like the angels. We are going to be sinless and sexless. So the next time somebody asks you what you believe, tell them. Say you are a Bible-believing Christian and you are also a son of God. You are a son of the highest. And they will look at you like you have two heads. But it is true. You are a son of God found very clearly in verse 14. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father means Daddy. Daddy in Aramaic. Can you believe it? Not only are you called a son of God from verse 14, but now in verse 15, we can call the Lord of the universe Daddy. This intimacy was unknown prior to the new covenant. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 12, aliens and strangers outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Verse 13, but by the blood of Christ, you are now made nigh in Christ Jesus. He has reconciled you unto him by his own precious blood. Look at verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so make in peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. It could not be any clearer. No Jew, no Gentile, no law. 
He has fulfilled the law and he has destroyed the wall between God and man. Please turn back to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 15 a little more closely. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. What fear is he speaking about? Please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. The word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that we can know that we are saved. And we have already seen very clearly from Romans chapter 8 verse 1 how there is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. So what is this fear spoken about in Romans chapter 8? Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That word bondage is found very clear in verse 15 to be in reference of A, dying, and B, in fear of the devil. Death is fearful, but Jesus Christ has abolished death. Please turn back to Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verse 15 one more time. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, fear of dying, and fear of not keeping the law to perfection. And Paul says, forget it. Don't worry. Why? Because ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we, you and I, cry, Abba Father. Like I say, we can call the Lord of the universe, Daddy. Why? Because Jesus Christ has knocked down the middle wall of partition. He has fulfilled the law for us. Fear of death and fear of coming short of his glory isn't something which should concern you. Rest in him. He has given you peace. He has the keys. He is the bridge. He is the way, the truth and the life. And he is the only mediator between God and man. Verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. From verses 16 down to 39, the Apostle Paul is looking way beyond justification and sanctification. Now he is focusing on adoption, something which occurs after you are born again. Verse 14, you are called a son of God. And as such, there is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus, found in verse 1. But verse 16 makes the case very clearly how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit how we are the children of God. And not just children from verse 7, but heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of the King and he is our Father. And all that he has, he has given to the Son and we are going to be joint heirs with Christ. Christ. And the latter part from verse 17, that we may be also glorified together. Glorification leads into eternity, which simply means you are now going to be sinless, which occurs after you have been adopted. Pre the new birth, and I showed you from Ephesians chapter 2, how we, before we were born again, were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. We were orphans, if you will, but through the new birth, 
Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ Jesus, Galatians chapter 3. And also in reference to the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit how we are the children of God. Not only does he do that through the fruits of the Spirit, we grow in grace, we love the Lord, and we deny ourselves by picking up our cross and walking and fellowshipping with him, but also we have it in the Scriptures. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will lose none of them. Salvation is of God, not of man. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The latter part of verse 17, if we suffer with him, we are going to be glorified together with him. First of all, in reference to your salvation, meaning once you are saved, you will suffer for him, but also in reference to your testimony, in reference to your practical standing. Once you are saved, you are expected to live a certain way. And the more you deny yourself and the closer you walk with the Lord and the greater you suffer for his namesake, the greater your rewards are going to be in the millennial reign. But no two saints are the same. The same calling for salvation, but a different calling for service. Found in chapter 9. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. More on that when we get to chapter 9. Also from verse 18, Paul speaks about the sufferings, plural, that they were enduring. It could have been anything from the Jews putting pressure on believing Jews to go back to the law, to somehow continue on under the Mosaic Covenant, and Paul condemned that in the earlier chapters. It could also have been a reference to the Gentiles trying to better themselves also by keeping the law. The Corinthians were also under great pressure to live after the flesh. And Paul says, no, keep on going. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't allow the cares of the world to distract you or to derail your walk with the Lord. Paul was like a father. He loved the churches and he was desperate for them to be faithful to the Lord, to remain in fellowship with the Lord and to shun sin, to be a rebel against sin but to be a slave to holiness. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans chapter 5, Paul made it very clear how Adam's sin has affected all men without exception. And here, all of the animal kingdom are also affected through the sin of Adam. Pre the fall of Adam, all of the animals were vegetarians. Post the fall of Adam, man becomes a meat eater, animals become meat eaters. They too have suffered as a result of Adam's sin. One more time, in Adam all men have fallen, in Adam all men have died. In Adam all men are guilty, without exception. But in Christ all men can be made alive, can be forgiven, can be exonerated, if they believe on him. 
the just shall live by faith. But here Paul is looking into eternity when the animals are going to be able to go back to how they used to be. No more killing, no more suffering, no more survival of the fittest. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Adam was made first. Through his sin, the animals have suffered. Like I say before the fall of Adam, everyone, man and beast, were vegetarian. They lived side by side. But through his fall, that all changed overnight. Mankind is in pain. Mankind is travailing in pain together with the animal kingdom. Even saved people are in great pain. Even saved people are in bondage. Hence why we looked in some detail at those verses earlier on. And Paul says that the whole of creation is in pain up until now. Now being the church age, Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world. At a point in the future when he returns, all of the suffering that mankind and the animal kingdom have experienced will be done away with. Mankind meaning those that are saved. Animals in general will no longer suffer as a consequence of Adam, their father's original sin, because he too is their corporate father figure. 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Romans chapter 7, Paul was lamenting, his old man clashing with a new man. O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body? Who will deliver me from this death? I thank Jesus Christ our Lord. But two points I wish to look at very briefly in verse 23. How we, the born again Bible believing Christians, have already received the first fruits of the Spirit. Being justification and sanctification. And yet we are still awaiting adoption. We are not yet sinless. I showed you that from Romans chapter 7 and Philippians chapter 3. We are still waiting for our new bodies. Paul told you in verse 22 how the whole creation is groaning. That includes saved people and unsaved people. But Paul is primarily interested in the welfare of the Bible-believing Christian. He's saying it is coming, it will soon be here, hang in there. But for here and now rest in him. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise a spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit confirms that we are the children of God. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us because we don't know what or how we should pray. We should know, but we don't know. Why? Because we are groaning, we are travailing in pain until now. We still have our fallen natures. So what a merciful God we have. The Holy Spirit 
intercedes for us, and God the Son also prays for us. Also, the term hope, that is not seen. We don't have a blind faith. Our hope is substantiated on a person being the Lord Jesus Christ and on the Bible. God's 66 books to us. His love letters to us. Look at 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How does he do this? Because he is God. Found in chapter 1, verse 4. Found in Acts chapter 5. Jesus Christ said he would send another comforter, being the Holy Spirit, of course. And he prays for us because he is God and he knows what is best for us because he is God, because he loves us. I just need to make a very quick and a very important footnote in reference to verse 21, where the word of God tells us, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Jesus Christ did not die for the sins of the animals. Why? Because animals don't have a soul. They have spirits, but they do not have souls. He died for the sins of the world. And yet by his death, he has redeemed the animal kingdom from the curse of the law. And yet saying that, please let me say this. Their redemption, if you will, does not occur, does not come into place until the end of the millennial reign. Why? Because during the millennium, animals are going to be sacrificed. So this piece of scripture, I believe, has a much futuristic application to it. Yes, they have been redeemed from the curse of the law, but it doesn't come into action until the end of the millennial reign. Only when the eternal state commences are all of the animal kingdom going to be at peace from sin, from the fall of Adam. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. First of all, the Lord calls all men to repent. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said it was a power of salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But here Paul is primarily focusing on those that have believed the call to repentance, those that have appropriated the atonement. God has made a provision to save mankind, but only those that believe the gospel are going to be saved. If you are not saved, there is no point saying the Lord loves me, he has received me as I am. He has not. He hates all workers of iniquity. He is angry with the wicked every day. He wants you to repent now. But if you are born again, this verse should be of great comfort to you. Why? Because everything that is good and everything that is bad when it comes to the life or the daily routine of a Bible-believing Christian happens for a purpose. But look at verse 28 one more time. And we know, not just Paul, but all of the apostles knew, that all things, everything without exception, works together for good to them that love God, those that are born again, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Here Paul is looking from the standpoint of the Lord's sovereignty. And the Lord says, if you love me, everything in your life will work together for good. You will be tempted, you will have trials and tribulations, but hang in there. First Corinthians made it very clear that we, the born again 
Bible-believing Christians won't be tempted and won't be tested above what we can endure. The great Job from the Old Testament had trial after trial after trial, but he remained faithful unto the end, and the Lord publicly rewarded him for that. So if you are saved, if you are going through trials and tribulations, hang in there. Don't give up. And if you are backsliding, repent. Confess your sins to him. These things happen for a reason. But above all, if you are his, he is yours. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. All things, everything works together for good to those that love him. So just before this broadcast concludes, I need to make a very quick and an important footnote in reference to one word, the word purpose, according to his purpose. What is God's purpose? God has a purpose for everything. A, he wants all men to be saved, and B, he will use all men, whether saved or not, to fulfil his will. Look at chapter 9, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. It was God's purpose to raise up Pharaoh to achieve his will, that being, of course, the deliverance of Israel and also the destruction of Pharaoh's kingdom. But chapter 8, verse 28, I believe, has a twofold meaning. It is God's purpose for man to be saved, and it is also God's purpose for certain men, whether saved or not, to serve him. So if you read these verses carefully, you will see the difference many times between service and salvation. But more on chapter 9 when we get there. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Calvinists and Arminians have fought over this verse and also verse 34 centuries. So please join me as I attempt to faithfully dissect verse 29 in minute detail. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He being God foreknew who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that person that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ was then predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 29 does not tell us when this happened or even why this happened from the standpoint of God's sovereignty. And I put it to you that you were preordained to be conformed to the image of his son when you believed on him. You weren't chosen before the foundation of the world, but you were saved from the beginning of the gospel. You were saved the moment you believed on the call to repent. John 3.16 is a great piece of scripture to explain A. God's sovereignty and B. Man's free will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. One more time. For God so loved the world that he gave that's God's provision, that's God's atonement, that's God's salvation, his only begotten son, the Lamb of God, the only mediator between God and man, that whosoever believeth on him, that's man's free will, you can either receive it or you can reject it. 
that whosoever believeth on him would not perish, meaning go to hell, but have, present tense, everlasting life, exoneration, salvation. Heaven when you die, not hell. So back to verse 29, one more time. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, not firstborn in a chronological sense, but firstborn in the sense of preeminence. And to be conformed to the image of his Son happens after justification, and it happens after sanctification. So one quick and final recap in reference to verse 29. God is sovereign, man is not. God knew through foreknowledge who was going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who would not believe. We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com. That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England That's ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England. From Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans. Chapter 9, verse 21. So during the last broadcast, we discovered how the Lord God of the Bible allows saved people and unsaved people to serve him and to reflect his will and glory many times with them not even realizing it. And again, this is the Lord's prerogative. This is his universe. He made the rules. He sets the agenda. We are his subjects, pure and simple. But for this broadcast, I want to start at verse 21 and read it one more time because 21 feeds into 22, which feeds into 23, which feeds into 24. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honour and another unto dishonour? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, 
even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. There is nothing from verses 21 down to 24 to give us any indication that these people, the vessels fitted for honour, or the vessels fitted for dishonour, were preordained to do so before the foundation of the world. No, these people were born in time, and some produced fruit, and some did not. Some would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and some would not. And verse 22 is the key to understanding verses 21, 23, and 24. 22, one more time. What if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 22. With much long suffering. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The last verse found in chapter 10. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Why would he bother to do this if he had chosen persons A, B and C before the foundation of the world to be saved, knowing that everyone else was going to go to hell because he had decided that would be the case. It makes no sense. So as far as I am concerned, foreknowledge and middle knowledge is the only way to make sense of these deep issues. The Lord looks from eternity past into eternity future and he sees those living in time, which ones are going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and which ones are not going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But either way, he gets the glory. It's all about God, not man. So before I start in verse 25, which will take me down to 33 and complete this broadcast, in verse 24, the Apostle Paul told us one more time, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He was always going to call the Gentiles. The Lord is the Lord of the Jews and also of the Gentiles. The Jews were his vehicle for the old covenant and it was down to them to reflect the majesty and the love and the reverence of the Lord God of the Bible to their Gentile neighbours. And I showed you how Mordecai and Esther did that back in the Old Testament. But the Jews failed. They failed on a mass scale. The Old Testament prophets told us that the Jews for the most part, would not believe and not trust and not follow their leaders. They rejected the Lord God of the Bible. And through their fall, we the Gentiles are grafted in. So the call here found in verse 24 is not just for the Jews only to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also on the Gentiles. And we discovered also from John chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus Christ told us how he had sheep that were not of his fold, meaning the Gentiles. And by his death, burial and resurrection and subsequent ascension back to heaven, the Gentiles are also given the opportunity to be saved. 
found here, I believe, in verse 24, and also in the latter verses of 25 and 26. So for this broadcast, let's start, please, in verse 25. And he saith also in Ozi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, Ozi being Hosea. I will call them my people, which were not my people. In reference to the Jews, primarily, some of the Jews believed, some of the Jews did not believe. The Jews that came out of Exodus, the Jews that came out of Egypt, were a mixed multitude. Some believed and some did not. But beyond this, this I believe, one more time, is in reference to the Gentiles, the church. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass, that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. John chapter 1, verse 11, one more time. He came unto his own, being the Jews, and his own, the Jews, received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So we, the church, have replaced unbelieving Israel. We are the children of God. We are the people of God. Foretold in the Old Testament and fulfilled at the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has not forsaken permanently the people of Israel. More on that when we get to chapter 11. Verse 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Verse 28 could be in reference to the short life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that being only 33 years old. Also from 27, Isaiah is Isaiah. But look at 29, please. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for their sin of immorality, wickedness, lasciviousness. Israel too, if it hadn't been for the election of God, could also have been destroyed, for they too were wicked. They also committed sins of immorality, and they also sacrificed their own children to pagan gods. And because of the Lord's mercy and Israel's faithful remnant found in 27, and the subsequent seed found in 29, Israel was spared. The seed being Isaac, the seed being Jacob, and the seed ultimately being the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's mercy is amazing. His majesty is magnificent. The just shall live by faith. Israel was saved by faith. I was saved by faith. And you, if you are saved, were saved by faith. And verses 30 down to 33 explain to us why Israel was not saved on a mass scale. But more on that in the next broadcast. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, 
even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, and rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Faith alone. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 16. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. But the Jews wanted to be saved by their works, not by their faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel wanted to remain under the old covenant. And we looked at that in chapter 7. And that won't save you. And finally, the term for stumbling stone and rock of offence found in verses 32 and 33 are in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our rock. Not Peter, found in Matthew chapter 16, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the mediator between God and man. And 33 ends one more time. And whosoever, Jew or Gentile, believeth on him, the just shall live by faith, shall not be ashamed. You won't die in your sins, but you will have everlasting life. One more time, it's all about God. Revelation chapter 4, we find the following in verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So if you are not saved and you want to be saved, just call out to the Lord God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He is the just one, meaning without sin, and we are the unjust ones, meaning we are sinful. But he and he alone will bring us to God. One more time, the just shall live by faith. Chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Chapter 10 is very much in conclusion to chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul says how he wished he was accursed, if it meant Israel could be saved. And here he starts in verse 10 with his heart very much on his sleeve. Brethren, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The will of the Lord is for all men to be saved, not just the elect, but all men to be saved. And he goes on to say in verse 2, how they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, a zeal is all very well, but a zeal without faith, a zeal without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is worthless. And he tells us very plainly how Israel is very ignorant of God's righteousness, meaning the imputation of Christ's righteousness, his goodness, his sinlessness. The just shall live by faith, 
They were ignorant of what the Lord Jesus Christ achieved on the cross. And so what do they do? They go about to establish their own righteousness, faith and works, their deeds and their beads. And the latter part of verse 3, they, Israel, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, being the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Get down on your knees. You cannot save yourself, and he does not need you to help him to save yourself. He owns everything. And just in case verses 1, 2, and 3 were not clear enough, he tells us in verse 4, For Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Just One, is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Jew or Gentile, chapter 1, verse 16, For God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave his only begotten Son. This is not rocket science. Please turn to Psalm 49. Like I say, you cannot save yourself. Your goodness, your self-righteousness, as far as the Lord is concerned, is as filthy rags. Look at verse 6, please. Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth, and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth for ever. You cannot redeem your own soul, in reference here to purgatory. Here the scripture is very clear. You cannot redeem your brother's soul, or your soul, or any soul for that matter. Meaning your works cannot save you. It's all of God. One more time, he owns everything. He does not need you to do anything. All he asks is for you to believe on him. One more time, get on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And even your wealth cannot save you. Found here very clearly in verse 6. And one more scripture to share with you before this broadcast ends. Psalm 52. Take a look at verse 7, please. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. One more time, get on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Chapter 4, the Apostle Paul quoted David and Abraham, two of the greats from the Old Testament, which very clearly demonstrated in their writings how man has always been saved by faith in the one true God. And here Paul quotes Moses in verse 5, stating very clearly that those that keep the law have to do everything that is contained in the law. And Galatians tells us that if you don't keep everything, if you don't fulfil everything, and if you don't obey everything in the law, you are cursed. And verses 6 and 7, in my mind, are almost a rebuke against Roman Catholicism, their blasphemous view of transubstantiation. 
The doctrine where the priest, they believe, calls Christ down from heaven. And the scripture says here, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. You cannot bring Christ down from above. The Catholic priest cannot bring Christ down from above during the Mass. Therefore transubstantiation has no place in the New Testament. It has no place in the life of a born-again Bible believer. And verse 7, who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. You cannot bring him up from the dead. He's resurrected. And you cannot bring him down from heaven because he has ascended. He is now seated at the right hand of God. His work is finished. His sacrifice and atonement has been accomplished. It is finished. John chapter 19. So clearly verses 1 down to 7 make it crystal clear how man cannot save himself. Man cannot bribe the Lord. Man is totally lost without God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then will you be saved and pardoned from your sin and go to heaven when you die. Not hell where you deserve, but heaven. Verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 8, the Apostle Paul very carefully and very skillfully quotes the Old Testament. And he goes on in verse 9 to quote himself. The Old Testament and the New Testament are joined up by one semicolon. Why? Because Paul very carefully and very skillfully is proving conclusively how man has always been saved by faith. Look at verse 8, please, one more time. The word is nigh thee. The word being the Lord Jesus Christ and the word being the written word of God, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Who else could do this? Who else could so masterfully quote the Old Testament and the New Testament with the subtle difference of just a semicolon? And also please remember and appreciate that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Yes, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, and yes, Paul wrote Romans. But the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the entire Bible, all 66 books. But let's look at verse 9, please, in some more detail. That if you, singular, not your church, not your father, not your mother, not your priest, not your pastor, not your brother, not your husband, not your son. But if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, meaning to publicly proclaim your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One more time, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, the word Lord here is kurios in Greek, meaning deity. And if you believe in your heart, a real belief, not a head knowledge, but a true belief that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You won't go to hell when you die, but you will go to heaven. Once again, the just shall live by faith. Trust in him. This could not be any clearer. So during the last broadcast, 
we looked at verses 8 and 9. And we discovered two things. First of all, how the Old Testament has always been consistent with the New Testament. Even though the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before the New Testament, they are both consistent. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote both Testaments. And we also discovered from verse 9 how a sinner, in order to be saved, must believe that Jesus Christ is God and how God resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead in order to be saved. God the Father resurrected him, God the Son resurrected him, and God the Holy Spirit resurrected him. Look at verse 10, please. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess in verse 9, and confession in verse 10. A public confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4. And an inward confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, James chapter 2. Again, the Lord looks on the heart, James chapter 2. But man looketh on the outward appearance, Romans chapter 4. The whole Bible fits together nicely, like a jigsaw, if and when you rightly divide the word of truth. So at this stage, we are halfway through chapter 10 of the epistle to the Romans. This could also be called the faith chapter. Paul very carefully and very skillfully outlines how man needs to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God and that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul also told us that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and most miserable people. Therefore you have to believe in the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved, along with his deity. Please don't rob him of his divinity, of his deity. Jesus Christ is God. Not God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit, but Jesus Christ is God the Son. So for today's broadcast, let's start, if we may, in verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Isaiah 28, in reference to the Lord God of the Bible, Jehovah God, Elohim, El Gabor, Emmanuel. One more time, the deity, one more time, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ is very clearly found here. If you sin against God, only God himself can forgive you. Therefore, Jesus Christ must be God. Look at verse 12, please. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we continue to come short of the glory of God. Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. We all need a saviour. 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In the Old Testament, always referred to Jehovah God. Go back to the Old Testament, please. Isaiah 28, Joel chapter 2, and you will discover how the Apostle Paul is quoting their writings, and they are referring to Jehovah God. And Paul says, Jesus is Jehovah God. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard. 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Once again, the Apostle Paul links the Old Testament up with the New Testament. But two points, please, from verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Call on him and believe in him in order to be saved. And the latter part of verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? The last thing the Lord said in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16 was to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ sent his apostles into the world and vicariously we have been sent into the world to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet saying that, please let me say this. Chapter 1 of the epistle to the Romans made it very clear how mankind is universally aware of the Lord God of the Bible. He has revelation and he has creation and he has a conscience to prove that God is God. He cannot escape the judgment of God. So even if, if you lived in a part of the world where the gospel had not been preached and people had not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ directly, they are still without excuse. Why? Because they have a conscience. They have a creation and they have revelation. So verse 15, as far as I am concerned, is primarily focusing on those that go out with the word of God. Like I say one more time, chapter 1 tells us that the whole of the world, Jew and Gentile, are totally without excuse. But those that go out with the gospel are here to be praised. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord... Who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy, by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Verse 16, Isaiah, known here as Isaiah, is lamenting over the unbelief of the people of Israel. We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. That's ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A 
St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1, 1LD, England. Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans, chapter 11. Chapter 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men, who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Two points from verses 1 down to 5. Number 1, the Apostle Paul is making it very clear how Israel per se has not been forsaken. The Lord God has always had a faithful remnant of believing Jews, going back to the time of Abraham until the end of the Great Tribulation. And two, Elias being Elijah, of course, is also cited in reference to not being alone in his own generation. He thought he was the only faithful Jew around in his own generation. A generation of apostasy and a generation of unbelief. And the scripture says, no, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. In reference, one more time, to service not salvation. Election, therefore, is never in reference to a person or persons, salvation, but always in reference to a person or person's service. And these people were foreknown, verse 2, through the Lord's foreknowledge, through the Lord's understanding and use, I believe, of middle knowledge. Verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Even at this present time, there is also a remnant of believing Jews according to the election of grace. Peter, Paul, John and Andrew were just a few. There were many Jews, Acts chapter 2, that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and got saved. And many of them were then chosen subsequently for service. It wasn't by their works, verse 6, but by the grace of God. Everything is down to the grace of God. 
Even Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. One more time, it's all about God. Grace, grace and grace. So during the last broadcast, we discovered from verses 1 down to 6, from chapter 11 of the epistle to the Romans, how the Lord God had chosen and preserved 7,000 men in the lifetime of the prophet Elijah not to bend the knee to the false image of Baal. These men were already saved, but the Lord preserved them for service, and he revealed it to Elijah to encourage him. Back in the book of Genesis, there is an account of a pagan king who wanted to sin against God. And the Lord God said, no, I have restrained you. I have stopped you from sinning against me. The Lord God is all powerful, clearly. And so when it comes to the Lord's elect, based on the Lord's election, it is no little thing. He can do whatever he chooses to do. And here he decided to step in and reveal to Elijah how there were 7,000 other men just as faithful as him that had not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. And Elijah was greatly encouraged, as was Paul found here in verse 5. Even to this present time, there is a faithful remnant according to the election of grace. Not just the apostles, of course, but many more Bible-believing Jews around 56 AD that had been earmarked for service. Not salvation, one more time, but for service. Verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. To understand verses 7 and 8, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Please turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, and look at verse 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But look at 23. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. In reference to Israel, first of all, in the time of Jeremiah, but ultimately in the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come. Foretold here in the book of Jeremiah. They chose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ in time. And so through foreknowledge, the Lord God has now judged them. So last time we were reading chapter 7 and 8 from Romans chapter 11. And I took you back to Jeremiah to show you how the Old Testament prophet prophesied as to how the children of Israel would respond corporately and universally when the Lord Jesus Christ arrived. Unbelief much like the Old Testament people did when their prophets called them to repent. 
And as a result of unbelieving Israel, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, he, the Lord God, like he did with Pharaoh, hardened their hearts. But for the sake of the faithful and believing and still future remnant, which were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover the following in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus speaking. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. The Lord had to speak in parables to the people of Israel, because for the most part, only a tiny minority were ever going to believe on him. And so for the sake of the elect, the Lord Jesus Christ chose parables. The rest of unbelieving Israel were under the judgment. Jeremiah chapter 5 and also Isaiah chapter 6. And so God, foreseeing this high treason, through his foreknowledge, inspired King David to write the following. Verse 9, please. And David saith, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. So here the Lord God holds them, the unbelieving people of Israel, personally responsible for not believing in the Messiah of Israel. They chose to reject him based on their own free will. It was not his choice, it was not his will, that the people of Israel would universally reject him. But it was foretold, Isaiah chapter 6 and Jeremiah chapter 5, hundreds of years prior to the birth and death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. So sadly and tragically, these unbelieving Jews died in their sins. Their choice, like I say, nobody made them reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody made them become unbelieving or doubtful or apostate. And so God, seeing what they would do, commissioned the Old Testament prophets to write what was going to occur when the Lord Jesus Christ came on the earth. One more time, it was their own choice. They decided to reject him. Not the Lord God, but mankind. Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall... Salvation is coming to the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. Romans 11.11 makes it very clear that the Jews have not permanently stumbled, Temporarily, yes, but permanently, no. And through their fall, we, the believing church, have temporarily replaced Israel. And now it is our job to provoke them to jealousy. So they too repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. 
Verse 14, Paul, as an evangelist, is once again wearing his heart on his sleeve. He wanted his own people to be saved. Chapter 9 and chapter 10. And here he says he hopes to provoke to emulation, an old word for jealousy, them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul was an evangelist. You should be an evangelist. We are all soul winners for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our roles, our ministries may differ, but if we are saved, we too are going to want our friends and our family to be saved as well. Verse 15, he says, If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Not a physical resurrection, of course, but a spiritual resurrection. And verse 15 makes it very clear that the Lord God of the Bible has not yet finished with Israel. Once the end of the church age comes, he, the Lord God, is going to switch his attention back to Israel, the house of Jacob. And for any professing Christian that holds to replacement theology, which is purely anti-Semitic, look at verse 16 carefully. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. The root being Israel. The root is holy. And we are grafted in to the root. Verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root, and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. No Jews, no Jesus. Salvation is of the Jews. The root is Israel. And we have temporarily replaced Israel. That much is true, but this is only temporary. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, meaning time is nothing. Time is irrelevant as far as the Lord God is concerned. Don't boast, don't sneer, don't mock the Jews because they are in unbelief. Temporarily, yes, we have replaced them. Temporarily, yes, we are the people of God. But one more time, no Jews, no Jesus, no Jesus, no salvation. 19. Thou wilt say then... The branches were broken off, that I may be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. It's true, the Lord figuratively cut down the tree. It's true, the Lord figuratively cursed the tree. Two occasions are found in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 3, where John the Baptist tells us that the axe is laid under the root of the trees. And he goes on to tell us how every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And from 21, we discover the tree that the Lord Jesus Christ cursed. Look at verse 19, please. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon. But leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward for ever. And presently the fig tree withered away. This tree is a picture of unbelieving and apostate Israel. And here the Lord Jesus Christ has cursed it. Why? Because it is barren. Please go back to Romans chapter 11. 
So very quickly, just before this broadcast ends, from verses 18 down to 21. The root is Israel and the branches are Israel. But we, the Gentiles, we, the church, are grafted in. We are the equivalent to a wild olive tree. And so Paul warns us how the Lord God did not hesitate to break off the branches in reference to unbelieving Israel. And in verse 20 he says, Thou standest by faith, the just shall live by faith. But be not high-minded, but fear. For if God, verse 21, spared not the natural branches, why? Because they would not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to be saved by their faith and works. And that's not how this works. Take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Like the Galatians, like the Corinthians, two different groups of people that were saved, but at times wanted to go back to the law. They fell from grace. And Paul says, don't you do that. Paul is warning the Gentiles. Paul is warning the church. 21, one more time. For if God spared not the natural branches, Israel, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Be careful, my friends. Don't fall from grace. Verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. The term cut off can mean to put someone to death, like Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, the sin unto death. Just look at the Corinthians, the carnal Christians. They were saved, but they fell from grace. They would not repent, so the Lord cut them off. They did not lose their salvation, but they lost their lives. Also from 22, I believe, the Apostle Paul is making the case one more time how Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one mediator between man and God. John 6, 6, 6, an interesting number. It says many of his disciples walked no more with him. Second John chapter 2 they went out from us because they were not of us. Where do they go? Back to the law. Chapter 7, we've already looked at that, how we are dead to the law. We are dead to sin. We are not under the old covenant, but we are in the new covenant. And also from 22, this is not in reference to the unpardonable sin. Are you still in doubt? Look at 23, please. And they also if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. The key word from verse 23 is unbelief. Unbelieving Israel. The worst sin a Jew or a Gentile can commit is the sin of unbelief. So verse 23, please, one more time. And they also, Israel, if they abide not still in unbelief, when it comes to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be grafted in. The branches were broken, but the Lord can reverse that. For God is able to graft them in again. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever he chooses to do. He spoke through a donkey. He made the world in six days. He can graft them back in again, if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24. For if thou wert 
cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Here a tree represents Israel. Not many trees, plural, but one singular tree. In thy seed, singular, Isaac shall be blessed. And from Isaac, one more time, comes the Lord Jesus Christ. We also discovered, back in verse 16, how the first fruit is holy. And if the first fruit be holy, so is the lump. And if the lump be holy, so is the root. Not roots plural, but root singular. So the tree representing Israel is God's exclusive means to reach mankind. So again, we cannot escape the fact that Israel A is blessed and Israel B has been preserved and Israel was the source of salvation. Salvation is of the Jews. And if you are a saved person, give thanks to Israel because the root of your foundation is Jewish. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. We are built on him. And this tree, one more time, represents Israel, and this tree represents the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You want to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get down on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will save you the moment you cry out to him to be saved. But the main theme from these verses from chapter 11, as far as I am concerned, is how the root and the branches and the first fruit are all Jewish. One more time, no Jews, no Jesus. No Jesus, no salvation. Anti-Semitism, therefore, must be discarded. And above that, the Lord God has not done away with Israel, in reference to the faithful remnant, 144,000 Jews are going to be commissioned to preach the gospel around the world. So give thanks to the Lord God of Israel. Through the Jews' fall, through the Jews' unbelief, we, the Gentiles, we, the believing church, have now been grafted in. So for here and now, we represent the true people of God. But at the end of the church age, once the rapture has been and gone, he, the Lord God, is going to go back to Israel. He is the Lord God of Israel, and his love for them is everlasting, and it is unconditional. Verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in in reference, I believe, to the end of the church age. Don't be wise in your own conceits. 20. Don't be high-minded, don't be proudful, but fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You stand by faith, verse 20 as well. The just shall live by faith. You got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were able to do that because the Jews fell temporarily through unbelief. 25. This is a mystery, something which was not revealed until Paul was called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9. Paul was not chosen to serve the Lord God of the Bible before the foundation of the world, but he was chosen to serve the Lord God once he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Also from 25, he says how blindness in part has happened 
to Israel. Not a physical blindness, of course, but a spiritual blindness. And he says it's only happened in part. There were many Bible-believing Jews that did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And even to this day, there are many more Bible-believing Jews all over the world that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for me, the main theme from verses 20 down to 25 would be as follows. Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that God is going to accept. He was the perfect Lamb of God, totally without sin. And by his precious blood, we are saved. But the problem was, many of the Jews went back to the law. They forsook the simplicity which is found in Jesus Christ. And as a result of this, the Lord God cut them off. Again, there is no other way to be saved. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 1, please. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so by here we discover, by these three simple verses, not to fall into unbelief. Don't allow the devil to rob you of the simplicity that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened in John chapter 6, Many of his disciples walked no more with him. Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, Be careful, many of the Jews fell, and the Lord subsequently cut them off. Be careful, therefore, that it does not happen to you. Romans eleven twenty six, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Not all of Israel, without exception, are going to be saved, but all of Israel that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, this is in reference to the believing remnant, those that the Lord is going to preserve, through foreknowledge and through middle knowledge. And among this group of saved and sealed Jews would most certainly be the 144,000 male Jewish evangelists, chosen and preserved and sealed for service during the Great Tribulation. Also from 26 and 27, this is what we call a split prophecy. The Old Testament prophets wrote about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and also the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many Jews got saved at his first coming, but many more are going to be saved at his second coming. So if there were still any doubt as to whom the Apostle Paul is speaking about. Look at 26 and 27, please, one more time. There shall come out of Zion, Israel, the Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, being Israel, of course. 27, again, for this is my covenant unto them, the Jews, when I shall take away their sins. In reference to Israel, of course. He came the first time, Acts chapter 7. He was standing and ready to come back to Israel. But the Jews corporately rejected him. So the gospel went to the Gentiles. And now he is ready to come back again. But he won't come back until the end 
of the church age. He won't come back until the end of the great tribulation. But one more time, he is going to return to Jacob. He is going to return to Israel. And every Jew that believes on him, verse 26, is going to be saved. Many Jews are going to be saved during the great tribulation. Much more then than got saved in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Romans eleven twenty eight, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Yes, the Jews crucified and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the Jews rejected many of their prophets and Old Testament kings, and they even rejected God. They wanted Saul to reign over them. It broke the Lord's heart. And yes, there is even a synagogue of Satan to this present day. And yet we, as Bible-believing Christians, have to love the Jews nevertheless. Why? Because they are loved for their father's sakes. For the sake of Abraham, for the sake of Isaac, for the sake of Jacob. The Lord loves Israel. Yes, they rejected most of their Old Testament prophets. We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. That's ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans, chapter 11, verse 30. Verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Chapter 9, verse 15, the scripture saith, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Two chapters later, scripture with scripture, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief, 
that he might have mercy upon all. Why? Because of verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. His love for Israel, one more time, is eternal and it is unconditional. And 30 and 31, count your blessings. Because of their unbelief, we the Gentiles, we the church, were grafted in. That we may provoke them to jealousy. They lost the mercy of God through their own free will as a result of their unbelief. But we, the Gentiles, we, the church, have received the mercy of God. Praise be to God, and one more time, count your blessings, and thank God that he has saved you. So we have very nearly finished Romans chapter 11. Let's call this chapter the chapter of second chances. The Lord God showed his love to Israel, and he also showed his love to the church. If you are not saved, you can be saved. The just shall live by faith. If you're not saved, just humble yourself and say, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you call on his name, he will save you the moment you call on his name. The Lord's long-suffering and love for Israel was magnificent. And one more time, through their fall, through their period of unbelief, we, the Gentiles, we, the believing church, have now been grafted in. Pride and the problem of self-righteousness should not be something that we should ever be guilty of. The Jews tried to save themselves through their faith and works, but we are saved by faith alone. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counsellor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory for ever. Amen. Verse 34 is clearly a rhetorical question. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Who has been his counsellor? No one. Verse 33 almost sounds like Deuteronomy 29, 29. For the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You will never truly understand who the Lord God of the Bible is. But you must believe on him. You must trust in him to do what he said he would do. And 36 is worthy to be read one more time. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory for ever. Amen. In reference to the Lord God's deity. He is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is everywhere at the same time, and he knows the thoughts of mankind. So come to him and trust in him, and he will save you to the uttermost, for he is worthy to be worshipped. Chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you all present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see God. 
and the latter part of verse 1, he says, which is your reasonable service, meaning you are expected to do this. This is the least you should do. Why? Because God is holy. And if he has saved you, he expects you to live holy. He expects you to set a good example. Why? Because the mercy of God was withdrawn temporarily from the Jews. But we, the Gentiles, were grafted in through their unbelief. And the scripture goes on to tell us how we must continue in his goodness, in his holiness. Otherwise, we too will be cut off. We won't lose our salvation, but we may lose our lives. And I showed you from a previous broadcast how Ananias and Sapphira were cut off. They lost their lives, but they did not lose their salvation. But back to verse 1. How are we expected to continue to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? This is something that we are supposed to do every single day of the week. Please turn to Matthew chapter 5. The Roman Catholics believe that if you beat your body, if you whip your body, and if you starve your body, you can beat your body to submission. That somehow you can keep lust at bay. But lust, but sin, comes from within, not without. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is more profitable for thee, that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is more profitable for thee, that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is describing sin. He's not telling us to physically self-mutilate our hands or our eyes. Why? Because one more time, lust comes from within, not without. This is called letterism, when you take every verse of the Bible to be literal. And like I say, the Catholic Church, especially Opus Dei, believe that if they beat themselves, if they whip themselves, and if they starve themselves, they can deal with the problem of sin. They can deal with the problem of lust. And that's not how you should do this. Please go back to Romans chapter 12. So the best way to harmonise Matthew chapter 5 and Romans chapter 12 is to look in more detail at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How can you do that? By reading the word of God. How will you ever know the will of God if you don't know the word of God? You should meditate on the scriptures every single day. So that is how you get control over your flesh, and that is how you gain victory over sin. And that is what Paul means when he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Meditate, meditate, and meditate. So during the last broadcast, we looked at the problem of sin and of lust. And I showed you from Matthew chapter 5, how severe the Lord Jesus Christ took sin. And he said, pluck your eyes out and cut your hands off. But not literally, of course, in a spiritual and a figurative sense. So I took you back to Romans chapter 12, to ascertain how we are supposed to get victory over sin, how we are supposed to get victory over lust, or sin in general. It makes no difference. And Paul told us to renew our minds daily by the reading of the word of God, to read the scriptures every single day, 
Meditate, meditate and meditate. Don't suppress sin. Don't suppress your feelings. But bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to him. And then go back to the word of God. Read the scriptures. That's the only way you'll ever get peace and power in your life. But for today's broadcast, let's start, if we may, in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Humble yourself and annihilate the problem of pride. Chapter 11, verse 20, be not high-minded, but fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. James chapter 4 verse 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The devil fell through the sin of pride. Be careful you don't fall through the sin of pride. And finally the latter part of verse 3. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There are different types of faith and there are different types of callings and ministries. Some people are called to be evangelists. Some people are called to be Bible teachers. And some people are called to be street preachers. Many callings, but not the same ministry. So last time we ended in verse 3 from Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul told us, According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. While it's true we are all called and we are all saved the same way, it's rare for two people to then be given the same ministry. Salvation, therefore, is one thing, whereas service is something else altogether. Look at verse 4, please. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So verses 4 down to 8 make it very clear how the Lord God of the Bible Equip save people in different ways. Salvation is one thing, service is something else. No two people will have the same calling or ministry. It's very rare, like I say, for two people to have the same calling. But verses 4 down to 8 make it very clear how we all have at least one gift when it comes to serving the Lord. Verse 9 Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honour preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verses 9 down to 14 almost appear, they almost sound, they almost feel like the words from the Lord Jesus Christ during his famous Sermon on the Mount sermon. And of course the Sermon on the Mount is primarily for the Jews 
under the law. But here Paul is speaking to us, the Gentiles, in the church age. Scripture with scripture and you can easily harmonise parts of the New Testament, the law and grace, the gospels and the epistles. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 11 please. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Back to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 12 again, please. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, rejoice in the Lord always. 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. If you can help and support someone who is in need, you should do so. Faith without works is dead. Verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Turn the other cheek. One more time, Paul here is very much in harmony with the Sermon on the Mount. 19. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not easy to turn the other cheek. It's not easy to forgive someone who has wronged you. But you must do so. The Lord is going to pour out his fury on his enemies at a time of his choosing. 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Laugh with the world, and the world laugh with you. Cry, and you cry alone. But here Paul makes it very clear how we, the church, should rejoice together, and how we, as a church, should weep together as well. Verse 16, humble yourselves again, annihilate pride, condescend to men of low estate. Never mind those at the top or the well-to-do people, condescend to men of low estate. Get down on your knees and humble yourself. Verse 18, be a good neighbour if you can. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Matthew chapter 25 also echoes what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. And verse 21, one more time, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Turn the other cheek, rise above it. Let your testimony shine to the world. And finally, and just before we conclude chapter 12, from verse 9, I forgot to look at it during the last broadcast, and the Apostle Paul tells us, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Stand up for that which is good, and defend godliness, and at the same time shun sin, and expose everything that is evil. Chapter 13 Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whether you are saved or not, the Lord God of the Bible expects everyone to submit to the powers that be. Governments are ordained by the Lord God of the Bible. Please turn to John chapter 19 
Look at verse 10, please. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Please turn to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Please turn back to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, one more time. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. John chapter 19, and we read, where the Lord Jesus Christ is standing in the presence of Pilate, the governor of Israel. And he says to Pilate, you could have no authority unless it was given to you from above. The Lord God of the Bible is totally sovereign. Daniel chapter 2, he says the same thing, how the Lord God changes the times and the seasons, and he even removes kings and sets up kings. The Lord God can do whatever he chooses to do. So make sure you are not an anarchist. As a child is in submission to its parents, and their parents are in submission to their employers, so you must be in submission to the state. But I will say this very briefly, when the state tells you to do something that the word of God tells you not to do, you follow the word of God. You follow your conscience. So during the last broadcast, we were looking at how the Lord God of the Bible has ordained the powers that be. All of the world governments are under his control. They may not all be saved governments. You may have unsaved politicians all over the world, but nevertheless, they are there by the decree of the Lord God of the Bible. And I told you how the scripture makes it very clear, how we are to obey those that are in authority. Please turn to Acts chapter 5. Let's start, if we may, in verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you, that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 18. Behold my servants, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He won't be an anarchist. He won't be somebody who is known to cause civil disobedience. The Lord Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of the world. He did not come to cause a revolution. He did not come to overthrow world governments. He did not come to abolish capitalism. Please go back to Romans chapter 13. So one more time, submit yourselves to the government. Acts chapter 5 made it very clear 
How when the words of men supersede the words of God, you go with the word of God. Men come and go, but the Lord God does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, meaning judgment. If you don't submit to the authority, you are going to be punished. Pure and simple. If you break the law, for example, they will arrest you and put you into jail. They have the right and the authority from heaven, believe it or not, to do that. Romans 13 verse 3 For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Verse 3, rulers, governments, those in authority, are not there to cause terror to those that do good works, but they are there to punish evildoers. And Paul says, if you don't want to be afraid of the power of the governments, do that which is good. And when you do that which is good, they will praise you. And verse 4 is fascinating. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. It could be your prime minister, it could be your president, it could be your king, or it could be your queen. It makes no difference. They are ministers of God, ordained by God. And he goes on to say, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Why? For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he, president, king, prime minister, or queen, is the minister, servant of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So it really is crystal clear. The powers that be are ordained of God. They have a right to do what they do. It may be you live in a faraway country where the leaders of your nation don't even believe in the Lord God of the Bible. It makes no difference. They are there solely at his decree. Look at First Peter, please. Chapter 2, verse 17. Honour all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So the entire Bible is so very clear. Submit to the authority and pray for those that are in authority. It makes no difference, like I said, if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. It makes no difference if they are a godly government or a godless government. You are to pray for them because God has ordained them to be his ministers. Verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Verse 6 is elementary. No taxes, no state. The Lord God of the Bible is a God of order, not confusion. 
The Bible, therefore, is a book of common sense. But you need to use your common sense when you read the word of God. Verse 5, you must be in submission to the state, not only for your conscience sake, but also for wrath. Because if you break the law, you will be prosecuted. And in some cases, verse 4, you could even be put to death. And finally, from verse 7, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Paul, when he met those in authority, was very respectful. He was also very polite and very courteous. Yes, he called sin, sin, and he also preached holiness and righteousness when he was able to. But above all, he appreciated that the powers to be were ordained by the Lord God of the Bible. Romans 13 verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. This love comes once you are born again. Before you were born again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But the moment the Lord regenerates you, he gives you a new heart. And now you can love the brethren and you can also love the lost. So the moment you love mankind, you have, past tense, fulfilled the law. And remember, we are not under the law. We are not under the old covenant. We are under the grace of God. We are in Christ Jesus. We are very much part of the new covenant. Verse 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandments, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Please appreciate that verses 8 and 9 are addressed to saved people. Nothing from 8 and 9 could save you. This is what happens once you are saved, once you have been regenerated. And like I say from verse 8, this love is for the brethren. Verse 9, this love is for the world. For God so loved the world. If he loves the world, we should love the world as well. But we don't associate with the world. We are in the world, but we are not part of the world system. Be in the world, but not of the world. And yet saying that, please allow me to say this. While it's true that the Lord has a love for the world, his ultimate love is for the church. So we have a love for the world, but our ultimate love is for him. So please be wise and careful when it comes to appreciating God's love for the world and his love for the church, our love for the world and our love for the Lord. And finally, for this broadcast, please look at verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is a self-sacrificial and a self-denial on the part of a saved person in the attempt to try and reach out through the power of the Holy Spirit to try and reach in to the life, into the heart of an unsaved person and reach out to them and present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. We can do it because a triune God lives within us. And once you have done it, verse 10, you have past tense. We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is 
www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England That's ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans. Chapter 13 Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, whether you are saved or not, the Lord God of the Bible expects everyone to submit to the powers that be. Governments are ordained by the Lord God of the Bible. Please turn to John chapter 19. Look at verse 10, please. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Please turn to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Then was a secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Please turn back to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, one more time. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. John chapter 19, and we read, where the Lord Jesus Christ is standing in the presence of Pilate, the governor of Israel. And he says to Pilate, you could have no authority unless it was given to you from above. The Lord God of the Bible is totally sovereign. Daniel chapter 2, he says the same thing, how the Lord God changes the times and the seasons, and he even removes kings and sets up kings. The Lord God can do whatever he chooses to do. So make sure you are not an anarchist. As a child is in submission to its parents and their parents are in submission to their employers, so you must be in submission to the state. But I will say this very briefly. When the state tells you to do something that the word of God tells you not to do, you follow the word of God. 
you follow your conscience. So during the last broadcast, we were looking at how the Lord God of the Bible has ordained the powers that be. All of the world governments are under his control. They may not all be saved governments. You may have unsaved politicians all over the world. But nevertheless, they are there by the decree of the Lord God of the Bible. And I told you how the scripture makes it very clear. How we are to obey those that are in authority. Please turn to Acts chapter 5. Let's start, if we may, in verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 18. Behold my servants, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He won't be an anarchist. He won't be somebody who is known to cause civil disobedience. The Lord Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of the world. He did not come to cause a revolution. He did not come to overthrow world governments. He did not come to abolish capitalism. Please go back to Romans chapter 13. So one more time, submit yourselves to the government. Acts chapter 5 made it very clear. How when the words of men supersede the words of God, you go with the word of God. Men come and go, but the Lord God does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, meaning judgment. If you don't submit to the authority, you are going to be punished. Pure and simple. If you break the law, for example, they will arrest you and put you into jail. They have the right and the authority from heaven, believe it or not, to do that. Romans 13 verse 3 For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Verse 3, rulers, governments, those in authority, are not there to cause terror to those that do good works. But they are there to punish evildoers. And Paul says, if you don't want to be afraid of the power of the governments, do that which is good. And when you do that which is good, they will praise you. And verse 4 is fascinating. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. It could be your prime minister. It could be your president. It could be your king. Or it could be your queen. It makes no difference. They are ministers of God. Ordained by God. And he goes on to say, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Why? For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he, president, king, prime minister or queen, is the minister, servant of God, a revenger 
to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So it really is crystal clear. The powers that be are ordained of God. They have a right to do what they do. It may be you live in a faraway country where the leaders of your nation don't even believe in the Lord God of the Bible. It makes no difference. They are there solely at his decree. Look at First Peter, please. Chapter 2, verse 17. Honour all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. Take a look at First Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So the entire Bible is so very clear. Submit to the authority and pray for those that are in authority. It makes no difference, like I said, if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. It makes no difference if they are a godly government or a godless government. You are to pray for them because God has ordained them to be his ministers. Verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Verse 6 is elementary. No taxes, no state. The Lord God of the Bible is a God of order, not confusion. The Bible, therefore, is a book of common sense. But you need to use your common sense when you read the word of God. Verse 5. You must be in submission to the state, not only for your conscience sake, but also for wrath. Because if you break the law, you will be prosecuted. And in some cases, verse 4, you could even be put to death. And finally, from verse 7. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Paul, when he met those in authority, was very respectful. He was also very polite and very courteous. Yes, he called sin, sin, and he also preached holiness and righteousness when he was able to. But above all, he appreciated that the powers to be were ordained by the Lord God of the Bible. Romans 13 verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. This love comes once you are born again. Before you are born again, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But the moment the Lord regenerates you, he gives you a new heart. And now you can love the brethren and you can also love the lost. So the moment you love mankind, you have, past tense, fulfilled the law. And remember, we are not under the law, we are not under the old covenants, we are under the grace of God, we are in Christ Jesus, we are very much part of the new covenant. Verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandments, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Please appreciate that verses 8 and 9 are addressed to saved people. Nothing from 8 and 9 could save you. This is what happens once you are saved. 
once you have been regenerated. And like I say from verse 8, this love is for the brethren. Verse 9, this love is for the world. For God so loved the world. If he loves the world, we should love the world as well. But we don't associate with the world. We are in the world, but we are not part of the world system. Be in the world, but not of the world. And yet saying that, please allow me to say this. While it's true that the Lord has a love for the world, his ultimate love is for the church. So we have a love for the world, but our ultimate love is for him. So please be wise and careful when it comes to appreciating God's love for the world and his love for the church. Our love for the world and our love for the Lord. And finally, for this broadcast, please look at verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is a self-sacrificial and a self-denial on the part of a saved person in the attempt to try and reach out through the power of the Holy Spirit to try and reach in to the life, into the heart of an unsaved person and reach out to them and present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. We can do it because a triune God lives within us. And once you have done it, verse 10, you have, past tense, fulfilled the law. Verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfil the lusts thereof. Verse 11. Awake out of your sleep, meaning, if you are apathetic, if you have backslidden, repent. Turn from it and come back to the Lord. Why? Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Meaning the rapture could be imminent. 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The rapture could come at a moment's notice. And he goes on to say, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. One more time. If you are apathetic, if you are backslidden, turn from it. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And he goes on to say, put on the armour of light. Being the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, in verse 14. But verse 13, he says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Why? Because the world is watching you. You have to love your neighbour. We saw that in verse 9 and verse 10. You need to have a clean testimony. Your life should reflect the goodness and glory and sinlessness even of the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be sinless yourself, of course not. But your life should be cleaner. Your life should be much better than unsaved people. And finally, two points in reference to verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning walk in the Spirit. Don't go back to the Old Testament. Don't go back to the law. Don't try to better yourself in your own physical way. Everything that you do should be done through the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second point from verse 14, make no provision for the flesh. 
to fulfil the lusts thereof. Why? Because God is holy. Again, the world is watching you. And he, God, wants you to arrive at the judgment seat of Christ and receive a full reward. You won't do that, my friends, if you are sinful, if you are carnal. But if you repent, if you turn from your backslidden ways, if you awake out of your apathy, if you confess your sins to him, he, God, is faithful and just to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness and to restore you unto full fellowship with him. Chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Verses 1 to 3 are not speaking about a person's physical weakness, but their spiritual weakness. Verse 1, he that is weak in the faith receive him. Verse 2, for one believes he can eat anything, another who is weak eateth herbs. Meaning, some of these early Christians had very sensitive consciences. Why? Because many of them, before they got saved, were sacrificing food to animals. They thought certain types of food were sacred. And once they got saved, they were still battling some of their old natures. And Paul says in verse 3, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Why? For God hath received him. The just shall live by faith. You got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You did not get saved by being a vegetarian or a meat eater. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Take a look at verse 8, please. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. The Lord God couldn't care less what you eat. All dietary laws and restrictions have been done away in Christ Jesus. And please allow me to show you one more scripture, if I may. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Take a look at verse 24, please. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So if you were a meat eater when the Lord God called you to salvation, remain a meat eater. If you were a vegetarian when the Lord God called you to salvation, remain a vegetarian. It makes no difference to the Lord. We are all under grace. We can do whatever we wish to do, within reason of course. But when it comes to food, all food is pure. So please turn back to Romans chapter 14. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy your liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't cause your brethren to stumble. More on that in the next broadcast. So during the last broadcast, we saw very clearly how the Christian has great liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are called as a meat eater, remain as you are. If you are called as a vegetarian, remain as you are. But if you are weak in the faith, pray to the Lord for wisdom, and he will give it to you. But above all, you have to help yourself. You must be reading the word of God each and every day. So for today's broadcast, if we may, let's begin in verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God 
is able to make him stand. So stop interfering in the life of other Christians. The Judaizers were very good at going around and trying to get people to go back to the law, to restrict themselves from what they could or could not eat. They did it to Paul on many occasions, but we are under grace, not under the law. And take a look at the latter part of verse 4. For God is able to make him stand. He has already saved us to the uttermost. We came to him in our worst possible states, and he has received us, and he has forgiven us. Like I said last time, it makes no difference whether you are a meat eater or a vegetarian. Have you repented? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what saves you, not what you eat or don't eat for that matter. And I will say this also, if I may, as a word of warning. Don't cause those that are weak in the faith to stumble. Because if you do, the Lord God is going to punish you. Take a look, please, at Matthew chapter 18. Let's start, if we may, in verse 4. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as his little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jump down to verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. 7. Woe unto the world, because of offences, for it must needs be that offences come, but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh. So be warned and be careful how you treat someone who is weak in the faith. If you cause someone to stumble who is weak in the faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to punish you. So be very careful and mindful not to invade their liberty and as a result of that, push them back under the law. The law cannot save them. The law will condemn them. Be very careful indeed. Romans chapter 14 verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Verses 5 and 6 continue on, from verses 1 down to 4, in reference to one's liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do whatever you choose to do, within reason, of course. You can eat, and we looked at this in the last broadcast, whatever you choose to eat. And you can worship the Lord on whatever day you choose to worship him on. Why? Because you have great liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some Christians meet on a Monday. Some Christians meet on a Tuesday. Some Christians meet on a Wednesday. Some Christians meet on a Thursday. Some Christians meet on a Friday. And some Christians even meet on a Saturday to keep the Jewish Sabbath. You can do whatever you choose to do. Just don't teach it as doctrine. Just don't attack those that don't do what you wish to do. And also from verses 5 and 6 comes the subject of Christmas and Easter. Can I celebrate Christmas? Can I celebrate Easter? You have great liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ, one more time, to do whatever you choose to do. Just don't condemn those that don't agree with you. And don't force those to conform 
to your way of worship. One more time from verse 5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. It's all about God. Don't use your liberty to cause someone to sin. Rejoice in the Lord God. Rest in him. But above all, don't allow yourself, don't allow your liberty to cause someone else to stumble, to fall and to be offended. Because if you do, one more time, the Lord God is going to chastise you and he is going to punish you until you repent and come back to the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. The latter part of verse 9 says how he, Christ, might be Lord both of the dead and living. Quite simply, those that died believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and are now with him are in submission to him. He is their Lord and they are in heaven with him now worshipping him. And the living would be those of us alive today that are awaiting his return for us in the air. The rapture, of course. Verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We, the church, are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer seat. The great white throne judgment is reserved for unsaved people. But we, the church, are going to be judged, not in reference to our salvation, but more in reference to the crowns that we are going to receive once we enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, many of us will have to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of how we lived after we had been saved, more in reference to our service, not our salvation. Thank God we are not going to be judged like the world will be judged at the great white throne judgment. But here, Paul is once again pushing the point home. Stop judging your brother. He will be judged just as you will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. So please, the Apostle Paul is saying, stop judging one another and rejoice in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So during the last broadcast, we discovered how we, the church, are going to have to appear at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in reference to our salvation, but in reference to our service, and also in reference to how we treated one another. So don't fret and don't worry when it comes to how person A, B or C lives and operates. It's not your concern. If they fall into sin, that's one thing. But what they do when it comes to what they eat or which day they choose to worship the Lord God of the Bible, it is not of your concern. Verse 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give accounts of himself to God. Verse 11. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to to God. Whether you are saved or not, you will bend the knee and you will confess that Jesus Christ is God. But here explicitly, Paul is referring 
to the state of the born-again Bible believer when he comes into the presence of Almighty God. He stroke she will bend the knee. He stroke she shall confess to the Lord. He knows everything anyway. But go back to the book of Genesis and there you discover the Lord God of the Bible calling out to Adam. Where art thou, Adam? He knew where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to come forth and confess to him. And here the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, one more time. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Don't worry about person A, B or C. Just worry about yourself. Because one day you will stand in the presence of Almighty God and he will judge you. He will judge you thoroughly, every word, thought and deed. So stop interfering in the lives of other people. Just focus on your own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans fourteen thirteen, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meats, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meats, for whom Christ died. Verses 13 down to 15 are very clear, and I showed you last time how some of the early... We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. That's ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans. Romans 14, 13 Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself, 
But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meats, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meats, for whom Christ died. Verses 13 down to 15 are very clear. And I showed you last time how some of the early Christians, before they got saved, would worship not only animals, but also false gods. And part of their sacrifice was to present food to these false deities. And so Paul, being ever so aware of this, warns those that were stronger in their faith not to cause those that were weaker to stumble or to become offended. And he says in verse 14, To those who esteem something to be unclean, to them it is unclean. But we know those that are stronger in the faith, that there is nothing unclean of itself. To the pure, all things are pure. And so by 15, he says, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meats, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meats, for whom Christ died. Don't defile his conscience. Be careful what you do. Enjoy your liberty in Christ, yes, but not at the expense of a weaker brother or sister. Because if you do so, the Lord God is going to hold you accountable at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, of course, is the Holy Spirit. How else could you have peace and joy if he's not God? He, of course, is a third member of the Godhead. The kingdom of God is also the same as the kingdom of heaven. And yet saying that, please allow me to say this. For those of us alive today, we are in the spiritual realm of the kingdom of God. But for those that have died, they are in the physical realm. And we saw that from verse 9, how he, Christ, might be Lord both of the dead and living. So the Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. So the kingdom of God, for those of us alive today, is not about food or drink. It's not even about money. Please turn to Psalm 49. And nor is it about power or prestige. Take a look, please, at verse 10. For he seeth that wise men die, Likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being an honour abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. So please turn back to Romans chapter 14. So the kingdom of God, one more time, is not about meat or drink. And neither is it about money, power or prestige. It's all about God. And finally, verse 19, one more time. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Deny yourself and put others first. Romans fourteen twenty. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, 
but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor any thing whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I think it's fair to call the 14th chapter the chapter of liberty. You can do whatever you wish to do, providing you don't cause someone else to stumble. And at the same time, if a saved person falls into sin, you can still approach them and call them to repent. Matthew chapter 18. But this chapter, one final time, is focusing primarily on the liberty that all born-again Bible-believing Christians can enjoy. You can worship the Lord on whatever day of the week you care to do so. You can eat whatever you choose to eat as well. But just be careful and mindful not to invade someone else's liberty. Don't be a Pharisee. Rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow your brethren to make their own decisions in this life. Chapter 15 We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour, for his good, to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Verses 1 to 3 continue on from chapter 14, in reference to how we that are stronger in the faith ought to carry those that are weaker in the faith. And I showed you last time how one of the main problems that some of the early Christians were still experiencing were convicted consciences. Some of them, before they were saved, would worship false gods and even animals. And once they got saved, they were still battling their old natures. For them, food was still a sore subject. And the Apostle Paul, ever so mindful of this, told those that were stronger in the faith not to cause those that were weaker in the faith to stumble. And so Paul says how we are not to please ourselves, but we are to please our neighbours. First of all, we are expected to bear the infirmities of our brethren, and then we are expected to please our neighbours. The Lord God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, as ambassadors for Christ, we are never off duty. Let your light shine before the world. And verse 3, the Apostle Paul holds up the Lord Jesus Christ as a personification of self-denial and self-sacrifice. For Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So be Christ-like and deny yourself, and at the same time be available to the weaker brethren, and at the same time reach out to your unsaved neighbours, present the gospel to them. Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope, hope in God and hope in the Word of God. No matter how bad things get, we have the Scriptures and we have God. But above all, we can use these things to comfort one another. We are here for one another. Faith without works is dead. And even though I showed you last time, 
from Romans chapter 8, how we are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ, once saved, always saved, or if saved, always saved. Trials and tribulations are always going to be a part of everyday life. And the reason for this, of course, is twofold. Number one, to prune us, to humble us, to allow us to produce more fruit and to become holier. And number two, to be able to reach out to one another, to be able to understand one another's infirmities and weaknesses and problems. Verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Verse 5, be like-minded one toward another. And by verse 6, be of one mind and one mouth when it comes to glorifying God. There will always be divisions in the body of Christ. There is nothing new under the sun. But here the Apostle Paul makes it very clear how we should all be like-minded one toward another. Because divisions, when it comes to our worship of him, only cause dishonour and disunity. So pray for one another and be there for one another. But above all, keep God at the centre of everything that you do. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Verse 8, Jesus is called a minister of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, of course, and the word minister simply means a servant. He was never ordained by anyone in organised religion. He came to fulfil the law and to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from verses 9 down to 12, the term Gentiles appears six times. It was always the Lord's will to reach out to the Gentiles and save them. John 10 verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. These other sheep are of course the Gentiles, that were going to believe on him after the resurrection. And once they did so, they too would be added into his one fold, one church, one baptism, one faith, one body of Christ. Isaiah 49 verse 1 The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Verse 5. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. 
And he said, It is a light thing, that thou shouldest be my servants, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Jesus in Hebrew means Yeshua, and Yeshua means salvation. Found here in verse 6. Written by Isaiah 700 BC, concerning God the Father speaking to God the Son. Romans 15 verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sorts, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to grow in grace. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The more Bible you read, the greater you grow in grace. And the more you grow in grace, the greater your faith will be. You will believe the Bible at a much deeper level. Verse 16, Paul says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Verse 8, Jesus is called a minister of the circumcision, in reference, of course, to the Jews. But here Paul is saying how he is also a minister, but this time to the Gentiles. A minister simply meaning a servant, no more than a servant. And also from verse 14, Paul says how he was persuaded that the brethren were full of all goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. They weren't sinless, of course, but they were filled with all knowledge of God. Because of verse 13, they were filled with all joy and peace by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by believing in the word of God. And therefore they were able to humbly admonish one another. Verse 17, I have thereof, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I would not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have freely preached the gospel of Christ. Verse 18 is so very clear. The apostles, including Paul, of course, only told mankind what the Lord God of the Bible had told them. Their writings were inspired. The Bible, therefore, is the word of God, and you can trust it 100%. On top of that, he came in the power and with the authority of the Holy Spirit. He raised the dead. He wrote half of the New Testament. He went to the third heaven, and yet he was never filled with pride. He walked in submission to the Lord God of the Bible, and the Lord God used him above all of the apostles, and his ministry and his gospel totally transformed the world.
Romans 15, 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Verse 20 makes it so very clear how the Apostle Paul was not prepared to preach the gospel or build upon another man's foundation, meaning he was not prepared to go to Rome if the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John or the Apostle James were already there. But clearly we know from chapter 1 verse 7 how the Apostle Paul was writing to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly there were already a well-established group of Bible-believing Christians in Rome around the time that he wrote this epistle, which is about 56 AD. And so this whole epistle, written by the Apostle Paul in Corinth, is really his desire, his stopgap. He's telling the people of Rome, I'm going to come to you, verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. So one more time, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, and the Apostle James had not reached Rome. Is it possible they may have travelled through Rome? Yes, that is possible. But the main point, I believe, from 1520, is how Paul was not prepared to build upon another man's foundation. Peter, James and John were not in Rome. Peter may have travelled through Rome, possibly, like I say, but he was not a permanent fixture in Rome. Rome was not his base. It was going to be Paul's base. And Paul was martyred in Rome. Whereas Peter, I believe, was martyred in either Jerusalem or Babylon. And verse 21 makes it very clear to me. To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see and they that have not heard shall understand. The apostles had not yet made it to Rome. The apostle Paul was the first apostle, I believe, to make it to Rome. Yes, there were early believers in Rome. Acts chapter 18, like I say, would explain how these early Christians got started. But verse 21 makes it clear to me how the apostle Paul was the first apostle to make it to Rome. Verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints." For most of the Apostle Paul's life, he was buffeted by the devil. He was told back in Acts chapter 9 how he would suffer terribly for the glory of God. So if you are born again, if you are living for the Lord God of the Bible, you too are going to be buffeted. You'll be tried and tested. But please always remember this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 
So clearly it's no surprise that the devil would not want Paul to arrive in Rome. Because Paul knew if he could make it in Rome, he could make it anywhere. And from Rome he could and would eventually transform the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Verse 26. The Gentiles at Macedonia and Achaia made a certain contribution to the poor Jews which were at Jerusalem. The Gentiles on this occasion were supporting their Jewish brethren. Faith without works is dead. Verse 30, he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, brothers and sisters, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That's intercession with a capital I. And the latter part of verse 30, he says, For the love of the Spirit, the Spirit being the Holy Ghost, of course. And you are told to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Also verses 26 and 31 are joined up. First of all, in reference to 26, there were many poor saints in the early church, Jews and Gentiles. This message that we hear so much of today, this so-called prosperity message, where God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, was not something that the early church ever believed or taught or ever experienced. There was great poverty, like I say, in the early church. And the Apostle Paul is quite rightly commending the Gentiles that stepped in to support their Jewish brethren. And secondly, from verse 31, the Apostle Paul wants the Romans to pray for him. Why? Because the Jews wanted to kill him, as did the Gentiles on some occasions, because the gospel and his ministry specifically were an offence to mankind, especially the Judaizers. But we were told in chapter 11 to pray for the Jews nevertheless, because they are beloved for their father's sakes. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Paul, as always, was selfless. He was the best of the best. He was a prince of the apostles. But pride was not something he ever battled with. So from Jerusalem to Spain, from Spain to Malta, and from Malta to Rome, the apostle Paul is on his way. But before he arrives in Rome, he concludes. Chapter 15, one more time, verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. P-E-A-C-E. -E. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus 
Christ. Amen and Amen. Chapter 16 I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at St. Crea, that ye receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a securer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Phoebe from verse 1 was a servant. She was not an apostle, she was not a disciple, she was not an elder, and she was not a pastor. She was just a servant. Much like you found in the last chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ was a servant of the circumcision, and the Apostle Paul was a servant of the Gentiles. But whoever she was, she was of great importance, because the Apostle Paul commends her unto the church, and he says to them, Receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints. And he goes on to praise Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And he also says about Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. They too were prepared to die, not only for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also for the Apostle Paul. It cost something for the early church to not only be Christians, but to also be associated with men like the Apostle Paul. They too were prepared to die for the cause of the gospel. And he says also in the latter part of verse 4, Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. This couple were magnificent. Verse 5, Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apenetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 5 is a continuation from verses 3 and 4. Priscilla and Aquila had a church which met in their home. The early church met in their homes for the most part, Church buildings, as we know them today, evolved over decades and centuries. Some of the early church were Jewish and they would meet in their synagogues. But for the most part, the early church, being Gentiles, met in people's homes. Verse 6, this Mary was not the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was quite possibly a lady of status, like Lydia, like Phoebe and like Dorcas and also to any Roman Catholic that may be listening to this broadcast. The Roman Catholic Church, as you know, elevates Mary to a great position of power and authority and prestige. And here, the Apostle Paul is listing Mary in fourth place. So could this really be the Queen of Heaven listed here in fourth place? I don't believe so. In Acts chapter 1, Dr. Luke lists Mary the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, in 13th place. Nobody ever consulted her on anything. But this Mary, in Romans 16:6 bestowed much labour on us. She was like Mary and Martha. She was greatly beloved by the early church. 
We are now out of time for this broadcast. Please join us next time. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England That's ETC Ministry Care of Pennywise 15A St. Andrew's Court Bolton BL1 1LD England From Manchester, England, this is ETC Radio, offering verse-by-verse King James Bible studies and teachings to students of the Word of God. We are the UK's premier father and son Christian ministry, reaching the world with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through radio and internet access. You can contact us at www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com So please join us today as we study the Word of God in the Word for the World. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible study and commentary by James Battelle. Please open your Bibles to Romans. Romans 15, 20 Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. Verse 20 makes it so very clear how the Apostle Paul was not prepared to preach the gospel or build upon another man's foundation, meaning he was not prepared to go to Rome if the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John or the Apostle James were already there. But clearly we know from chapter 1 verse 7 how the Apostle Paul was writing to all that be in Rome, beloved of God called to be saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly there were already a well-established group of Bible-believing Christians in Rome around the time that he wrote this epistle, which is about 56 AD. And so this whole epistle, written by the Apostle Paul in Corinth, is really his desire, his stopgap, He's telling the people of Rome, I'm going to come to you. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. So one more time, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John and the Apostle James had not reached Rome. Is it possible they may have travelled through Rome? Yes, that is possible. But the main point, I believe, from 1520 is how Paul was not prepared to build upon another man's foundation. Peter, James and John were not in Rome. Peter may have travelled through Rome, possibly, like I say, but he was not a permanent fixture in Rome. Rome was not his base. It was going to be Paul's base. And Paul was martyred in Rome, whereas Peter, I believe, was martyred in either Jerusalem or Babylon. 
and verse 21 makes it very clear to me. To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. The apostles had not yet made it to Rome. The apostle Paul was the first apostle, I believe, to make it to Rome. Yes, there were early believers in Rome. Acts chapter 18, like I say, would explain how these early Christians got started. But verse 21 makes it clear to me how the Apostle Paul was the first apostle to make it to Rome. Verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For most of the Apostle Paul's life he was buffeted by the devil. He was told back in Acts chapter 9 how he would suffer terribly for the glory of God. So if you are born again, if you are living for the Lord God of the Bible, you too are going to be buffeted. You'll be tried and tested. But please always remember this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So clearly it's no surprise that the devil would not want Paul to arrive in Rome. Because Paul knew if he could make it in Rome, he could make it anywhere. And from Rome he could and would eventually transform the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen twenty six, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debt as they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruits, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Verse 26. The Gentiles at Macedonia and Achaia made a certain contribution to the poor Jews which were at Jerusalem. The Gentiles on this occasion were supporting their Jewish brethren. Faith without works is dead. Verse 30, he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, brothers and sisters, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That's intercession with a capital I. And the latter part of verse 30, he says, For the love of the Spirit, the Spirit being the Holy Ghost, of course. And you are told to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Also verses 26 and 31 are joined up. First of all, in reference to 26, there were many poor saints in the early church, Jews and Gentiles. This message that we hear so much of today, this so-called prosperity message, where God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, was not something that the early church ever believed or taught or ever experienced. There was great poverty, like I say, in the early church. And the Apostle Paul is quite rightly commending the Gentiles that stepped in to support their Jewish brethren. And secondly, from verse 31, the Apostle Paul wants the Romans to pray for him. Why? Because the Jews wanted to kill him, as did the Gentiles on some occasions, because the gospel and his ministry specifically were an offence to mankind, especially the Judaizers. But we were told in chapter 11 to pray for the Jews nevertheless, because they are beloved for their father's sakes, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Paul, as always, was selfless. He was the best of the best. He was a prince of the apostles. But pride was not something he ever battled with. So from Jerusalem to Spain, from Spain to Malta, and from Malta to Rome, the apostle Paul is on his way. But before he arrives in Rome, he concludes. Chapter 15, one more time. Verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. P-E-A-C-E. -E. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and Amen. Chapter 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at St. Crea, that ye receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a securer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla, and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Phoebe from verse 1 was a servant. She was not an apostle, she was not a disciple, she was not an elder, and she was not a pastor. She was just a servant. Much like you found in the last chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ was a servant of the circumcision, and the Apostle Paul was a servant of the Gentiles. But whoever she was, she was of great importance, because the Apostle Paul commends her unto the church, and he says to them, Receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints. And he goes on to praise Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And he also says about Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. They too were prepared to die, not only for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also for the Apostle Paul. It cost something for the early church to not only be Christians, but to also be associated with men like the Apostle Paul, they too were prepared to die for the cause of the gospel. And he says also in the latter part of verse 4, Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. This couple were magnificent. Verse 5, Likewise, 
Greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apenetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 5 is a continuation from verses 3 and 4. Priscilla and Aquila had a church which met in their home. The early church met in their homes for the most part. Church buildings as we know them today evolved over decades and centuries. Some of the early church were Jewish and they would meet in their synagogues. But for the most part, the early church being Gentiles met in people's homes. Verse 6, this Mary was not the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was quite possibly a lady of status, like Lydia, like Phoebe, and like Dorcas. And also to any Roman Catholic that may be listening to this broadcast, the Roman Catholic Church, as you know, elevates Mary to a great position of power and authority and prestige. And here, the Apostle Paul is listing Mary in fourth place. So could this really be the Queen of Heaven listed here in fourth place? I don't believe so. In Acts chapter 1, Dr. Luke lists Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, in 13th place. Nobody ever consulted her on anything. But this Mary, in Romans sixteen six bestowed much labour on us. She was like Mary and Martha. She was greatly beloved by the early church. And verse 7 Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. They got saved before Paul got saved. Proving here that everyone gets saved the moment they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has been chosen before the foundation of the world. They got saved before Paul got saved. This husband and wife team were known among the apostles, but they were not apostles. They were simply of note among the apostles. But above all, they were in Christ before the apostle Paul was in Christ. Verse 8. Greet Amphilus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcius, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphenia and Tryphosia, who labour in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which laboured much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermes and the brethren, which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Verses 8 down to 16 continues a drum roll when it comes to the Apostle Paul paying homage to the best of the best in Rome. Also of interest to me in reference to Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife team, were how monumental they were in leading Apollos from Acts chapter 18 out from the law 
and into grace. This is very much what the Apostle Paul is doing, not only in Romans, but also in Galatians. The Old Testament for the Jews, the New Testament for the Gentiles. Many of the Jews were not sure where they now fitted in to the New Covenant. And people like Priscilla and Aquila, this amazing husband and wife team, were used mightily by the Holy Ghost. And that's why the Apostle Paul, I believe, is quite rightly commending this couple in the Lord to the brethren. And no doubt these were leaders of house churches. And he finishes in verse 16 to salute one another with a holy kiss. And the meaning of this term, a holy kiss, is very simply the kissing of friends on the forehead, cheek or beard. It was something that was very common in the Old Testament. And so the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ continued it on. And quite possibly the Gentile believers also adopted this as well. And I'll close this broadcast, if I may, from Psalm 85 to show you the innocence of this holy kiss. Verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good, and simple concerning evil. Verses 17 down to 19 are the Apostle Paul's final warning to the Romans, and vicariously everyone else. Be careful, he is telling you, to mark them which cause divisions and offences which are contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. What is the doctrine of Christ? I believe the doctrine of Christ is very simply how the just shall live by faith. You are saved by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Also from 17, you are told to avoid them, in reference, of course, to false teachers. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul said that if anyone or anything would come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching or offering another gospel, something that was not substantiated by the apostles, they are to be cursed. And the same is found here in verse 17. Mark those that cause divisions and offences. That is contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, one more time, is how you are saved by your faith in Christ alone. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And furthermore, in reference to false teachers, the New Testament also tells us how we are to expose all workers of iniquity and how we are also expected to rebuke them sharply in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Paul tells us how these people don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple in reference of course to those that are not educated in the deeper things of the Lord God. One more time, people like Priscilla and Aquila were marvellous in that they were able to articulate the simplicity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also from 18, he makes the very interesting comments, how they don't serve the Lord Jesus, but their own belly. 
not necessarily in reference to their obesity, but more likely in reference to their lack of self-control. And he goes on to say how they do this by their good words and fair speeches. This, therefore, is a philosophical problem, not a theological one. And verse 19, one more time, the Apostle Paul, not only wearing his heart on his sleeve, but here wanting to prepare and present the bride of Christ as a chaste virgin to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So take verses 17 down to 19 and we come to the following conclusion. Verse 17, mark those which cause divisions and offences, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Why? Because God is going to punish such people. He has reserved a special place in hell for all false teachers and all false teachings. 18. They, the false teachers, serve not the Lord Jesus, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple, not in reference to somebody being stupid, but more in reference to somebody not necessarily understanding the deeper things of scripture. Hence why you are told to read the word of God each and every day and meditate on the word of God each and every day. And 19, be wise, be aware, be mindful unto that which is good, but simple, don't practice, don't be a partaker of that which concerns evil. Verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Verse 20 is very much in conclusion to verses 17 down to 19. The devil is the arch enemy of anything that is pro-God and anyone that is pro-Christ. His job is to destroy the saints and he does that in many different ways. But the main way that he does this is by false teachings and false teachers. Please turn to Psalm 58. Like I said last time, I believe the Lord God of the Bible has reserved a special place in hell for all false teachers and of course for the wicked in general. But please take a look at Psalm 58 verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Please turn to Psalm 75 and take a look at verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. Please turn back to Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 one more time. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So when we take all of these verses together from Romans chapter 16, Psalm 58 and Psalm 75, we discover how the Lord God is going to punish, he is going to destroy not only the wicked, but also Satan under our feet shortly. But in the meantime, we have been told to mark those that cause divisions and offences which are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. Mark them out, warn others, and avoid them. Verse 21. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, 
and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Cortus, a brother. So verses 21 down to 24 are Paul's final drum roll of the righteous. This is very much a picture of the judgment seat of Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ reads out all of the names of the righteous. But here Paul is praising and crediting the good and the great. 22. Tertius wrote this epistle. Why? Because Paul suffered from poor eyesight. This epistle is still inspired by the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul simply spoke the epistle to Tertius, who wrote it down. And Paul entrusted Phoebe to take the epistle of the Romans via Corinth to Rome. And 24 feeds back in to the latter part of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Romans 16.25 Now to him that is of power, to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. From verse 25, Paul speaks about the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Ultimately, he is referring to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Abraham to Malachi, the Jews for the most part had a very primitive understanding as to who the Lord God of the Bible was. So it fell to the apostles and especially Paul to write the New Testament and present the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. This mystery, which had been kept secret from eternity past, has now been revealed under the new covenant. And so every book of the New Testament is God's revelation to the world concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, Now to him, God, that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Do you want to know the Lord God? Get down on your knees and say, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner, and he will save you the moment you cry out to him. If you are saved, but out of fellowship with the Lord God of the Bible, get down on your knees and say, Lord God, please be merciful to me, a sinner, and he will restore you. He will give you the power to make this book come alive one more time for you. And also from 26, he says, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. God the Father is eternal. God the Son is eternal. And God the Holy Spirit is eternal too. So when you sin against God, only God himself can forgive you. And because God is eternal, you are going to be eternal as well. You will either be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you will be in hell for all of eternity. Take this book very seriously, please. This is not a game. And the latter part of verse 26, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. One more time, the just shall live by faith. 
You are saved by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about God. He makes it possible for all men to be saved. But only those that believe on him are actually going to be saved. So what started back in verse 1 with Phoebe being commissioned and entrusted to travel from Corinth to Rome with the epistle of the Romans is now found here in verse 26 for the obedience of faith to all nations. So not only were many people saved in Rome, but they were also saved in Ephesus and Corinth and in Galatia. The entire world was turned upside down by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So give God the glory and the praise. It's all about him. And verse 27, one more time. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So this verse will conclude my unscripted Bible study of the epistle to the Romans. I recorded this primarily for End Times Coming Radio. This series of recordings lasts just under seven hours. So thank you for starting with me, for continuing with me, and for finishing with me. And I commend this epistle to the Lord God of the Bible. Amen and Amen. You have been listening to ETC Radio. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, as a result of hearing this message, or if you would like to contact us for prayer, or maybe just inquire about further messages and free DVD Bible studies, you can do so via our website address, which is www.excatholicsforchrist.com That's excatholicsforchrist.com Or you can write to us at ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England. That's ETC Ministry, Care of Pennywise, 15A St. Andrew's Court, Bolton, BL1 1LD, England.